Today we come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. We're going to see the good pleasure of prayer. How many of you have ever been to Chick-fil-A and heard them say, my pleasure? What is God's pleasure? We're going to find out today. It's right there in verse 3. This is good and pleases God. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is not silent about what pleases him, but he tells us directly. Now I'm going to play Captain Obvious today, and I'm going to tell you where we're going on this message, give you, the, give you the, the points, and you're going to be immediately disappointed because they just, it's like, that's so easy. Anybody could figure that out. So Captain Obvious, Paul is going to be talking about prayer matters. People matter, and we should prioritize those two. So I know you're disappointed, but let's go ahead and start anyway. Prayer matters. As Cameron was reading, we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. He's talking about all different kinds of prayers. He's saying it's not just one type of prayer, but all types of prayers should be given for all people. So he's saying prayers should go all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people all the time. And he says for kings and those in authority. Now, again, we need to set the context of where he's talking here. This is the time in which Nero is the Caesar, the emperor of Rome. What does Nero do? He burns Christians. He's persecuting Christians. He hates Christians. He despises Christians. And here's Paul saying, and they're going to run a double check. Let's do, let's do a spell check on this. Did you literally mean that we're supposed to pray for Nero? And he says the reason for that is, number one, is prayer does make a difference he says, we pray for those in authority that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And so Paul's objective is to say, prayer matters. You pray for Nero because something might happen. One of the great things that happened when the, Rome, when Rome was, uh, the Romans were, were leading the world is Pax Romana, in which they built roads and they provided peace so the gospel could spread. Why does Paul get to travel all over the, the rim of the Mediterranean? because there was provision for him to be able to travel and to travel safely in the known empire. So he says, this is good, and this is what pleases God. As we come to God, we were, were reminded that God can do more in a moment than all of humanity could do throughout eternity. Now think about that for a moment. You say, wait a second, is that really true? I mean, you put all of us together in a room, brainstorming for all of eternity, and you're saying God could do more in a moment than that? Yes. God speaks and everything changes. Beginning of creation and the end of creation. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and it happened. And then it says, in the twinkling of an eye, it will all change. When we pray, things change. How many of you prayed for prayer for, for rain this week? You know, and I, and I, I want to be real sensitive to that because, man, I, I'm just looking at my foundation. I'm looking at all the cracks everywhere. Like, man, we de and look at the roads, the trees, it just so much that's going on. And, and as we had a prayer meeting down at, at City Hall this week, we're reminded, too, of just all of the people that are impacted for livelihood because of the lack of rain. And we're reading in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 22 this week in the daily Bible reading calendar, it reminds us that God alone brings rain. We can't manufacture it. We can't produce it. We can't provide what we need. Isn't that humbling? But prayer matters. And when we pray to God, 
things can happen. So he's saying, pray. Pray for your leaders. And that's one thing that we need to do more of, certainly. You say, well, I don't like who's leading. Well, I don't like them. But God says, pray for them. Do you think they liked Nero? Pray for them so that God can work in ways that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Then you say, well, I have prayed, and nothing happened. Were you praying for, for rain back in July? In August, and it didn't rain? And it's like, well, prayer obviously doesn't matter. And you prayed for a family member that didn't change. You prayed for a job situation that didn't turn out the way you wanted. And we say, okay, prayer doesn't make a difference. Max Anders has said something that I think is so informative as we think of unanswered prayer. He says, much of what passes for unanswered prayer is simply an exposure of the selfishness of our hearts. That doesn't mean all of our prayers are selfish, but sometimes it's good for us to experience unanswered prayer to ask, am I where I need to be? I think of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, but you know what it says in verse 13? When it quits, when it quits raining, when it's not raining anymore, and God keeps it from raining, because he alone can provide the rain, he says, when you see that, let that be a signal that maybe there's repentance that needs to take place in our hearts. And sometimes as we pray, we're reminded of things that need to change in us more than in the situation that we might be praying about. But Paul is saying, don't give up. I'm urging you. Pray all kinds of prayers for all kinds of people because prayer matters. And then he shifts down in verse 4 to say that people matter. This, this verse 4 of 1 Timothy chapter 2 is a key to the entire Bible. Notice what it says. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why we have the Bible. That's God's gospel. We look at the Old Testament leading us to realize that we cannot save ourselves. And the New Testament, the provision of Christ coming to save us from what we could not do ourselves. And he says, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That means everybody. God's desire is for all kinds of people from all walks of life, from all eras of time, to come to the true knowledge of who he is. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This has now been witnessed to the proper, at the proper time. For this purpose, I was appointed a herald. Cameron, you said that so well. I'm not lying. What Paul is saying is, man, cross my heart, hope to die. Step on a crack and, you know. I'm not lying on this. This is the true stuff. God wants everybody to come to salvation, and that only happens through Christ. Ezekiel 33, 11 affirmed the same thing. And you hear all of these harsh things happening in the Old Testament, but, but God exposes his heart in Ezekiel 33, 11 to say, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from their wicked ways and live. And then it says, repent, repent, turn from your evil ways. God's desire is for everyone to be saved. And that only comes through Christ. And we might say in our pluralistic culture, there are many ways 
to find salvation. There's many ways to God. But that's not true. There are many ways to Christ, but only Christ can take us to God. We've all known people who have come to know Jesus Christ, maybe through a friend or family member sharing the gospel with them, telling them how they can receive Christ. Maybe they heard a podcast. Maybe they watched something on television. Maybe they read a book. Possibly it was a sermon. So many different ways that we can come to Christ, but only Christ can make us right with God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There are not many ways, like they saw in Ephesus, where they worship 50-plus gods and goddesses, but there is one mediator, and that is Jesus Christ. And Paul would say, that's why I'm here, to herald that truth. That's what Make a Different Sunday is all about, is that we go out and we herald the truth to proclaim that you can experience, that God wants you to experience salvation. You know, although God is sovereign and remains cloaked in mystery, he has sovereignly created a way for us to know him, unique to all other faith systems. Christianity is that in which we can know God. My prayer this morning for all of us and Christians throughout the world, that we would know God better than we ever have. What a prayer. That we would know God better than we ever have in the past. So as Paul is talking about this, he's saying this is the, the urgency for those of you who live in Ephesus to share the gospel, to tell other people how they can be rescued from their sins and to know that there is only one way that that can happen. So we see here two quick things, that people matter and prayer matters. And then he tries to say, I want you to prioritize those two together. People matter, and that's why the gospel needs to be shared with all people of all times, of all kinds. Prioritize the two. Now, we're about ready to move into some really confusing passages of Scripture. And so I would just encourage you to try to pay attention, because it's these are some of the most um, controversial passages of Scripture, so maybe I got your attention there. But they merge these two ideas together, that prayer matters and that people matter. Let's try to, to go in there, and I didn't have Cameron read all this because I thought if he read that first, some of you might walk out. But I want you to hear what God is saying in the midst of this. And why do these passages come together like this? Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. Because prayer matters and because people pray, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. And when he's saying that, he's referring back to many passages of Scripture, but Psalm 24, 3 and 4 would be one of them, that we approach God. They would actually, not only in the Jewish faith, but also in the pagan cultures, they would wash their hands before they would pray because the hands were symbolic of the heart. And he is saying, I want you to approach God in the right posture. And you're going to say, okay, do we have to lift up holy hands? No, the right posture of our heart, that we would have pure hands, holy hearts, without anger or disputing. And we know that's going on in Ephesus, right? Because we know there's false teachers there. We know that there's discord because of that. And he said, I want you to pray that we would focus on what matters most. And I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. 
okay, pastor, you've gone to meddling now. <laughs> or this is just a cultural thing. It, Paul was writing just for this particular culture that doesn't apply to us today. And so we can go to way big extremes here. First of all, ladies, don't ever wear makeup. Don't ever mess with your hair. That is what you're supposed to do. And there are those who move in that direction. Paul's not saying that. What is he saying? Dress modestly, decently, not using elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. What was happening in the church at Ephesus is that people were coming together supposedly for the purpose of worship, but then they would adorn themselves to draw attention to themselves. And Paul is saying, never draw attention to yourself, but we want to keep the focus on God. Some people in Ephesus were very poor, and very elaborate hairstyles and expensive clothes communicated, you're not me. You're below me. And so there would be this divisiveness. There would be this resentment. There would be this anger that would take place there. Also, we can't forget that Ephesus was a very immoral city. The Temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Fertility goddess. It accentuated the act of procreation. It was a sex-driven industry. Much of the money that flowed through Ephesus was driven by this one thing. People in that city were enormously sexually charged. And Paul would say, don't come to church to try to draw attention to your sexuality. And that's a good point for all of us, male or female. Don't try to draw attention to yourself, but keep the focus on God and do it in a way that you won't be a distraction to other people. With good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God, we should always dress, act, behave in a way that honors God. And we've somewhat lost that, honestly, in the American culture. I have dealt with some people that I, I just, I feel like I'm talking to a wall to say, you know what? They have these beautiful bodies. They should be able to accentuate them. And scripture tells us, we have to find out, are we going to be driven by culture or by scripture? And if you feel the need to accentuate your body, do it outside of worship. Do it outside the context of church. Okay, let's continue on in this stressful environment. Because it's only going to get worse. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Love you all. Thanks for listening. It's a, <laughs> and then he goes on. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was a woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And when you hear that, what do you think? 
we look at it from the eyes of culture and we are taking it out of the context of what he's saying. That prayer matters and people matter. What is the priority of life is to keep the focus on God. And we live in a time in which the creation order is completely being altered around us. And when creation and false religion most always distorts the creation order, most always. You just think about any cult, any false, crea- all false teaching, it will distort the creation order because it is fighting against God. It is rebelling against God. And Paul is saying, in this particular environment of the church, God has provided creation order that men would assume leadership spiritually and that women would be submissive to that. But notice here, he's talking about, I do not permit a woman to teach. He doesn't permit all men to teach either. We're going to talk more about that next week. But before I go any further, I want us to go back a few years to the book that Paul wrote to this church, Ephesus, to better understand this whole concept So we go to Ephesians chapter 5. Remember that just a few years earlier, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians to this church that he's now writing to Timothy about once again. You with me? Ephesians 5 verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, meaning keep yourself alert to what really matters. Therefore, don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord wants, and that is found in Scripture, not in culture. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. This is the idea, speaking to one another to encourage them in their spiritual walk with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, what does that have to do with where we are now? Then we get to the next verse, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when you hear the word of women are to submit to men in leadership, it is God saying, this is the way that I have ordained creation to be. It's not a statement about one being superior to the other because all through scripture we see the equality of male and female in the value of of, of God's eyes. But when he says, submit to one another out of reference, he is setting up what he's about to say next. What does he say in Ephesians 5.22? Anybody have a wild guess? Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, if you only knew. (laughs) What has he just said? He has said in creation order, God has ordained for all of us to submit to one another as followers of Christ. And then in the creative order of the family, the wife is to submit to the husband. And he goes on to explain how that operates. As you do to the Lord. He is not to run over you. This is not to be some Stepford wife. You submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord. Well, my husband is not the Lord. As you do to the Lord, in the same manner and way that you do with the Lord. 
where the husband is ahead of the wife. That is just God's way of creating things. And we're going to talk more about that. Stay with me. As head of the church, his body. So there's this creative order in which Christ is ahead of the church. Now as this church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. So the church is supposed to be submitting to Christ, and that's the example of how a wife submits to her husband. And any woman that takes issue with this has not read the rest of the passage. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's the guy that takes the bullet. I mean, who's got the harder job here? You're supposed to submit to this bonehead who is supposed to love you like Christ loved the church. And when a man is seeking to do that and a woman is in support of that, some incredible things can happen. But what happens here? We resist submission and all of that that stems from Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. What happened? Adam and Eve resisted the authority of God, and so they sinned. And then you have the conflict that is created between Adam and Eve in the process, as you read about it in Genesis 3. So there's this natural baked-in equation to creation order because of the fall that we resist submission and authority from other people. And we end up becoming much like the disciples who are debating about who's the greatest. And that's not what this passage is about. The greatest thing is that people matter and prayer matters, and God wants people to be saved, not who's submitting to who. Does that make sense? That's not the big issue. But so oftentimes we've made that. We live in a culture that makes that a real big issue. But ironically, in the church, more people are interested in helping than leading. This is what makes me laugh. You ask anybody if they want to lead in a ministry. And here's the number one response. Just see if you know this response, if you've ever given this. Would you lead out in this ministry? I won't lead, but I'd be glad to help out. I mean, we hear that more than anything else. I won't lead, but I'd be glad to help out. But then we chafe about this. But wait a second, I want to be the leader. It just reminds us of this great need to die to self. You remember the second cross? Hawaii Church is here. We must die to self. Now, this whole passage of Scripture brings up another arena, uh, uh, an area for us to talk about. So stay with me. When we talk about this relationship, there have been two basic camps that talk about the man-woman relationship. Complementarianism is the idea that there is this creation order, and we follow that. And one role, the male and the female, the two roles complement each other. And then there's egalitarianism, which means that to say that we're just alike. We're, we're, we're not different. Friends, we're all equal in Christ, yet we have unique roles. Males and females are different. Why the memo to our culture cannot get that? I mean, just go out to eat with your wife. Where do you want to go eat? Doesn't matter. Wherever you want to go. Great, let's go to Cracker Barrel. I, no, not Cracker Barrel. <laughs> so, well, fine. Where, where, do, you, where do you want to go? You, you pick anywhere. I, I don't care. Wherever you want to go. 
let's go to Waterbury. Oh, no, not Waterbury. I'm going to go. And so it goes as you circle the block. We are, we are different. But women don't have less value. Paul's not saying that at all. Jesus affirmed the value of women throughout his ministry. And two, you just want to jot down John 4 and John 8. And John 4, he broke all cultural norms to speak to a woman because he said, this is what matters most. God wants you to experience salvation. So he spoke to this immoral woman at Jacob's well. And at John 8, when the self-righteous men came to destroy the life of a woman who had made a mistake, had sinned, and he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, I'm not saying this doesn't happen. You don't have issues at home, certainly. I've shared with you one time years ago, and I can't remember which, which hurricane. We've had so many. There was a time in which you could remember which hurricane was which, but we had evacuated for one of the hurricanes that didn't hit. You know those ones where you get up and you leave and everything, and it just stays sunny all the way through. And so that happened just a few weeks earlier, and so there was another hurricane coming, and so the question was, should we evacuate? And so we were in disagreement. I mean, I've always thought it'd be kind of interesting to stay for a hurricane. I haven't. I've never gotten permission to do that. But, <laughs> but we're debating as to whether or not we would evacuate for this hurricane. And I'm, I'm saying, I mean, look what just happened. I mean, let's just wait. Let's just, she wanted to evacuate. We went back and forth. And we weren't, we weren't mad or arguing with each other, but we were just trying to, we were trying to figure this thing out, but we were disagreeing. And finally, I said, well, honey, okay, I am supposed to be the leader of the family. <laughs> and she said, I know, but we're both leaders. And so you know how this tension works sometimes. You've heard Tony Evans' wife, his, his late wife Lois, talk about Tony preaching on the man is to be the head of the home. And she would say, I'll give him that, but he just needs to know. I'm the neck that turns the head. <laughs> so when we think about all of this, we chafe because we move off center from what matters most, that God wants people to be saved. And he's established this order in which you may disagree with it, but our job is just to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Think about the Trinity for a minute. What happens in the Trinity? All three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are equal. And if we don't say that they're all equally God, and equal in every way, then we're confused. But it tells us that the Son submits to the Father, and the Holy Spirit does, what Jesus directs. So Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he's not doing. He is submitting to the Father. And what Paul is saying is, men, you need to man up. You need to man up, and you need to lead in the way that is God-honoring and holy. And then we end with this, this verse that is, is, uh, is about as hard as it gets in Scripture. 
but it says, women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. That's verse 15. Now, first of all, what we need to do is recognize what he's not saying. He's not saying that salvation comes through the process of bearing a child, of being pregnant and having a child. And it doesn't mean that you're always protected that way. Because, again, go back to the book that he just wrote to them, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, not through works, so that no one could boast. What Paul seems to be indicating, because there's many interpretations of this, but first and foremost, we need to recognize that he's not saying salvation comes through having a child. But what he seems to be indicating is he is raising the value of women. In this passage, as so many say, he is devaluing women. He is saying, look at what you can do. One of the things that our culture has come face to face with, still trying to figure out how we can navigate around this, men can't have babies. Doesn't matter what you call them. Men can't have babies. And Paul is saying, that is your unique role. You can have children, and God has ordained in creation order that you have influence over your kids in a way that the husband cannot. And using your influence, you can raise these kids in a holy environment so that we go back to verse 4 that says, because God wants everyone to be saved and know knowledge of the truth. Does that make sense? So, what, what, do, what do we do? Post it on your mirror, schedule, and heart. What matters most? Not who's in charge. God's in charge. And when we're dickering about who's in charge here, it's just like the disciples, we're focused on being, having the authority here rather than having the authority here. So post it on your mirror, schedule, and heart that God wants all people to be saved. My mirror is a great point of reference for me. I love these things. And I've told you this before. In 1974, Art Fry was sitting in a church service at the North Presbyterian Church in North St. Paul, Minnesota. And the sermon was moving a little bit slow. And he was a 3M scientist that was so frustrated about all the index cards that were in the hymnal that were, you're trying to mark the different places he invented post-it notes during a slow sermon. These things are miraculous. Because I will put, and if you came to my house sometime and you saw some of the notes that are on my mirror, you would say, this guy must be brain dead. Like, funeral, 10 a.m. It's like, I mean, really? You have to be reminded there's a funeral tomorrow at 10 a.m.? I want to wake up making sure that I don't forget because my brain could forget. And so I put things up there that are important coming up. Anybody else do this? Just curious. A few people very sheepishly say, well, okay. Well, I'm saying get a post-it note and put up there, God wants all people to be saved. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your schedule. Put it on your heart that God wants everyone to be saved. We don't want to be like Jonah. And Jonah was more interested in his comfort with that vine than the salvation of the people of Nineveh. And if we're not careful, we can move there so 
easily. That's part of Make a Difference Sunday. We're gonna, you're going to have an opportunity in just a minute to put down on that card. Believe me, Barrington's going to be in there. Man, I can't think of a better thing than have all you guys come over to our neighborhood and talk to our neighbors and, and invite them to, to Westgate or any church to share the gospel with them, to give them a, a card that has a, a prayer that we're going to say in just a moment. Uh, can't think of a better thing. And if you want us to come to your neighborhood, I know some of you are saying, I'm not sure about you guys coming to my neighborhood. You might mess it up. There goes the neighborhood. Well, you'll have an opportunity in a minute to do that. Friends, what is most important? God wants all people to be saved. That's why he gave us his word to remind us that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. Are you listening? Are you listening? I was reminded this week that you guys don't listen when I get to this point. Are you listening? Or is this just, we've heard it so many times. The reason you've heard it so many times is I believe that God wants all people to be saved. Those listening online, maybe somebody here in the room. And number two, I've told you this several times before, is I want you to be getting this so that when you have the opportunity to share, you have a template. Because you hear it every week. that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. But our sin separates us from a holy God. And that's why Jesus came. Talks here about being ransomed. Jesus came to rescue us from a th something that we couldn't get out of, and that's our sin. No wonder, that's, that's the number one thing. If, if you did something that significant for someone else, wouldn't that be the number one thing on your list? And that's why God says in this passage, this is number one on my list. I have made the biggest sacrifice of all that people could be saved. But we have to do something ourselves. We have to repent and turn from our sins and allow Jesus Christ to make us right with God. If you have never done that, or if you have never shared that with anybody, we need to pray. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to say a prayer similar to the one that I'm going to voice in a moment. And this is a prayer that is a beginning point of a relationship with Christ. And if you're already a Christian, be reminded, these are the things that I should have in my toolbox that I could readily access to share the gospel with anybody. Paul said, I'm called to be a herald. I am called to trumpet the message of Scripture that God wants all people to be saved. I love you all. Thanks for listening. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word that is so specific. And it guides us to the right place. The world is always going to try to take us away from what you've created and ordained. You've established an order that brings meaning, purpose, joy into our lives. And that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Recognizing that there may be someone right here in this room now that has never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be the moment that they would pray a prayer similar to this, knowing that you want them to be saved more than anything else. That they would say something like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, we pray that someone today has voiced that prayer and they have found the greatest pleasure of all in you.
this pleases you more than anything else is for all people to be saved. Give them those around them that will help them in the journey to follow hard after you because we can't do that by ourselves. Bless them with people that would encourage them on that journey. Lord, as we, even now, think about this commitment that we will make to go out in a few weeks to do what pleases you most, to tell people that you want them to be saved, I pray that you would move in our midst. God, that we would be reminded, am I going to go out? Do I want people coming to my neighborhood? We trust your spirit to speak to us the way that we need to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love you all. I appreciate you listening. And, and now during this time of commitment, it is an opportunity for you to say, okay, uh, I'm in. I, I believe what Scripture says. And if Scripture says it, whether I'm comfortable or not, I will shape my life around that to be obedient. And I'll be going out in a few Sundays. On October 8th, I'll make a different Sunday to tell other people about Christ. And on that communication card, you can also put whether or not you want anybody to come to your neighborhood. Uh, so as we sing, let's just all respond and you just lay your cards here at the altar and you may just want to stop and pray over your neighborhood uh, while you're here as well. So let's stand together and let's respond as God leads us.
bless you. Have a great week.